I have to be honest, this is really weird. <laughs> kind of feel like my head's on a swivel as I'm going to be trying to look to be able to speak to all of you and make eye contact. It is only going to be just a couple of weeks and we'll have everything back, but what a great blessing it's going to be when we get there. When I started this sermon series, I started telling you about John Kralik. John Kralik presently is a judge in Southern California. But 10 years ago, he was a lawyer who had his own firm. It was in December of 2007, though, that his life hit rock bottom. He was struggling on so many fronts. I mean, financially, he thought he was about to go bankrupt. He had so many clients who were not paying their bills. And because they weren't paying their bills... He couldn't make payroll. We're we're talking several million dollars. And then at the same time, he was in very bitter divorce with his second wife. He couldn't get settled. He was estranged and not talking to his adult children from his first wife. And when he came to Christmas that year, it was his girlfriend who told him that their relationship was through. He was in his mid-50s. He was about 40 pounds overweight. He looked in the mirror and saw he was out of shape, feeling pasty and old. He felt like it was the worst time in his life. He was in rock bottom. And I told you how it was then that on a New Year's Eve day that he went up onto the hills overlooking Pasadena, California, where he lived. And as he watched the Rose Bowl parade going by from high up, sitting on a rock, he heard a voice say, Until you learn to be grateful for the things you have, you will never receive the things you want. He went in the habit of hearing voices, but this voice was so loud and so clear, he took it seriously. That's where he came up with this idea that maybe what I ought to do is write a thank you note a day for the next year. 365 thank you notes. And if I do that, and if the voice is right then by the end of the year, my life, my world will be different. He didn't know it at that day, but that's exactly what would happen. His world would be different when he got through writing all these thank you notes and learning how to live in the spirit of gratitude. The problem he first faced, though, was it's great to say I'm going to write a thank you note today, but I don't have anything to be grateful for. It was a journey. He'd been into it about six months. And about six months into it, what he found was that things were changing. His attitude was changing. And he was listening more for inner voices to hear God speak. And one day he got to talking with a friend of his named Paul. Paul had been a, is a fellow, was a fellow lawyer. They had been friends, kind of drifted. They now were getting back together. And what he discovered was Paul had cancer. The doctors had told him that he had a year to live. They had him on experimental drugs. They didn't know it, but they were going to work, and he would get more than a year. But at this point, Paul was saying how he was committed to staying in shape. He loved to run marathons. So in spite of cancer, surgery, chemotherapy, he was still out running. And Paul looked at himself, overweight, pasty, pale, and thought, maybe God is trying to tell me you need to get into shape. So he put his jogging suit on, tied up his tennis shoes, and decided he'd just go for a run. 
when you haven't been doing anything and you're in your mid-50s and you take off to go run, he found that was tough. He was running down Sierra Madre Boulevard where they hold the Tournament of Roses Parade. And as he's jogging along, he came to a spot on the sidewalk that was uneven. And when he did, his toe caught the uneven crack. And he went down. I mean, went down like a tree in the forest. He said, you know, when you're in your 20s and you fall, well, somehow you're agile and quick and you, you kind of catch yourself. But when you're in your 50s and you fall, it's like a tree. He went down hard. He hit the pavement, knocked his wind out, stunned him. All he could do was lie there on the sidewalk trying to gather his wits. When he finally kind of opened his eyes and looked over, he saw something he'd never seen before. It had always been there, but he had never seen it. It was three crosses there in the yard of this church. And he thought to himself, maybe God's telling me to go back to church. And so he did. This man, who six months earlier would have considered himself um, a, an atheist, was suddenly going back to church. And what he found was, you really don't ever run alone. His journey of gratitude really became a journey of faith. You don't ever run alone. It's when you and I discover that we don't run alone, that you're not going through life alone, that it gives you something to be fundamentally grateful for. It changes the way that you start looking at life. Even if you're in a dark night of the soul, even if you have hit rock bottom, you're not running alone. It's why I've said that we're going to have this year a year of gratitude. And just like we did last time, we're going to spend every single day writing a thank you note. One a day. 365 thank you notes we want to write over this next year. Believing that if we are expressing our gratitude day after day after day, we will be different at the end of this year. The other thing we've said that we want to do, though, is I've asked you to have a devotional life. To develop a spiritual discipline. The spiritual discipline of getting up each morning and reading a devotional. You can go buy one in threefold. Or you can simply go online at the church's website under inspiration. And you can find we have written a devotional. This last week they were outstanding. Usually they're written by staff. But I, I hope that we'll have some this year written by our lay people. We're writing these devotionals. You can go and you can read and then have a time of prayer. And what I've asked is, when you start your prayer time, start with three things that wind up being um, that you're grateful for. Three things you want to thank God for. You know, what I found is so often what I'm doing, I start my prayer life and it's always, oh God, help me. Oh God, help me. What I've asked you to do and what I've been trying to do is to start my prayer life. And what I'm doing is I am saying, oh God, thank you for, I'm grateful for. 
and you think about those things that you're grateful for. And after you have offered those up, then you offer your prayers of petition. Oh God, please help me. Oh God, show me the way. Or you pray for others. Oh God, bless my children. Whatever it might be. And then when you come to the end, end with another prayer of something you're grateful for. Now, I got to tell you, I've really been trying this for quite some time now. And what I've discovered is it has changed the total flavor and feeling of my prayers. If I'm starting in gratitude and then go to petition and then end in gratitude, the way that I look at everything is different. Now, this idea is not something that I dreamed up or we dreamed up here at St. Luke's. It's what Paul told us 2,000 years ago. Last two weeks, we've looked at Paul's letter to the Colossians. And we said that Paul wrote that letter while he was in prison. It was a dark night, a difficult time in his life. And it was during that time that he would write this letter to the Colossians. And one of the things he said to them was, Pray always, looking for thanksgiving. Today, we read from Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's also a prison letter. A letter that Paul has written while he was in prison. And again, as he writes to him, what we read was, Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Through supplication and your prayers, with thanksgiving, let your prayers be made known to God. Lift up your prayers, but begin them with thanksgiving. Because Paul wanted in the early church people to know you can rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Have no anxiety about anything. Paul's in prison. These are difficult times. And yet Paul is saying rejoice. Don't be afraid. Lift up your prayers with thanksgiving. You will know peace. It is say the way that you and I go through this year living in a spirit of gratitude. The way that we are able to do that, <coughs> Paul tells us clearly. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. When I read this, what I found, there was one thing that jumped out at me. I love the last line. If there is anything worthy of praise. Think about these things. Right now, when you and I are going through life, it sure is easy to think about a lot of issues in the world, in our personal lives, things that make us afraid, anxious, angry, and those are things you probably need to confront and think about. But if we're not careful, it's all we think about. And we get anxious and angry and afraid. No, you deal with the issues. But you do it with thanksgiving. And if we live in thanksgiving, then we confront the issues and it is still different. The question becomes, is there anything worthy of praise? That's what I want us to think about this morning.
And there's just really two things that I want to say. First of all, just a couple of weeks ago, I told you a quote from Sarah Ben Brothnick. She wrote the book, Simple Abundance. And she talked about that time in her life when to everybody her life looked so good, but the truth of the matter was her life was kind of coming apart. She was so depressed and unhappy. She wanted to see, is there anything I have to be grateful for? Kind of like a John Kralik. She sat down and she made up a list. And when she made up the list, she saw she had so much for which to be grateful. And so she made the comment. What I realized was, all that I have is all that I need. And all that I need is an awareness of all that I have. Now I think that's a profound and a very important statement. And I want you to think about memorizing that statement. I have had them printed in the back of your bulletin this morning. Two different gratitude statements. And I would encourage you to take it home and practice that and be able to say that so it's something that comes to your mind. All that I have is all that I need. And all that I need is an awareness of all that I have. To become aware of how you are blessed so you can give thanks. Right now there's a very great program down in Kissimmee, Florida. I was reading about it recently. They just celebrated their 30th anniversary. The program is entitled Give Kids the World. I don't know if you've ever heard about it or not. It's kind of like the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Give Kids the World. It's 30 years old now. And it's in Kissimmee, Florida. And what happened was there were some social scientists who started talking to children who had a terminal illness. Asking children, if you had one wish that you could have fulfilled, what would it be? What do you think it was? 70% said they wanted to go to Disney World. 70% said they wanted to meet Mickey Mouse. And so what this group of people did was they created this village. They created villas where families could come and stay. They were designed for children who would be having health problems, for wheelchairs and these kinds of things. And then you could come and stay in a villa. And they put a castle on the property and they put a ride on the property and they put a swimming pool all designed for kids with disabilities. Disney was impressed enough that they said they would let Mickey and his friends come to the village to meet the children, though they also gave them tickets free to come and to use the park. In fact, the whole thing has been free. Flights, housing, meals. For four days, you can come with your child And you can go to all the attractions in Orlando, be there, four days make incredible memories that you can carry for the rest of your life. Over the last 30 years, they have served more than 150,000 families. The interesting thing is that whole idea of give kids the world was the idea, the brainstorm of one man, Henry Landworth. Henry is now 90 years old. Born in 1927. He was born in Belgium. He was Jewish. When the Nazis came to power, his whole family was swept up and put into Auschwitz. He was 13 years old. He would be there for almost five years. 
His mother and father would die there. Only he and his twin sister miraculously survived. When they finally got out, of course, he was penniless. He didn't have an education now, going in at 13. He was so weak and so thin, had no family to turn to. But Henry decided he wanted to come to the United States. He made it to the coast and got on by working on a freighter and was able to come to New York. When he landed, he knew very little English and he had only a couple dollars in his pocket. He got all registered and lo and behold, he got drafted and he went into the army and he served the army here, our army in the United States. And when he got out, then he decided to use the GI Bill and he went to college and he studied hotel management. He got his degree and in 1954, he went down to this new little place called Cocoa Beach down in Florida. Disney World had not existed yet, but there was a place called Cape Canaveral. NASA was coming into being and he opened up the Starlight Motel. Now he would go on to own a Holiday Inn and then a second and a third and a chain as Orlando and Kiss Me began to grow. Henry would become a multi-millionaire and incredibly successful businessman. But it all started at the Starlight Motel. As people came down for NASA, they needed a place to stay. And Henry, having survived being in a concentration camp, he had such a compassion for people, understanding the fears, the hopes, the needs of people. The service he provided was amazing. And everybody wanted to stay. There wasn't many places to stay. They wanted to stay with Henry. All the astronauts stayed there. He got to know Alan Shepard and Gus Grissom and John Glenn. John Glenn became one of his best friends. All the reporters came down. They needed a place to stay. He got to know Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite became one of his best friends. Henry was just this amazing guy doing so many kind things. Well, it was John Glenn who noticed that when Henry was out there serving his guest around the pool and doing things, he always wore a long sleeve shirt. And one day John said to Henry, it's summer in Florida. Why are you wearing a long sleeve shirt? And because Henry and John had become friends, he decided to be honest. He didn't talk much about his previous life. But he finally said, it's because I have numbers on my arm. Whenever we went into the concentration camp, the Nazis tattooed us with a number. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. John said, Henry, you shouldn't be ashamed. You should be proud. My goodness, you suffered because of your faith. You somehow managed to endure Auschwitz. And now look at what you have accomplished. You should be proud. Henry had never thought of it like that. But he decided to try And so the next time John saw him, he had on a short sleeve shirt. Now, this was before everybody wore tattoos on their arms. So it kind of stood out in that day, back in the 1950s. And sure enough, the kids saw the tattoo and they came over to say, what's that on your arm? And it gave him a chance to talk about the Holocaust and about Auschwitz and about his faith. And the kids looked at it and they always said, wow, Having a number, that's so cool. 
And Henry said, yes, having a number is cool, but having a name is really cool. And I know that it's God who calls me by my name. It's when you know that God calls you by your name that you grow in awareness of how you are blessed, that you don't run alone, that you don't live alone. It fills you with a spirit that lets you look at life different even when you find yourself feeling trapped, in prison, in a dark night of the soul. You look at life different. You know, one of the spiritual disciplines I would also like to encourage us to do this year is for all of us to get back in the habit of saying grace. Saying grace before a meal. You know, when I was a kid growing up, that was an important thing. Madeline needs to learn about saying grace before a meal. You know, the word grace comes from gratitude. And as far as we can tell, it was back probably in the 13th century that the church decided to ask all of Christians to say a prayer before a meal, to say grace. The idea is you give God thanks for the food you're about to eat. You give thanks for the people you eat the meal with. You give thanks for the gift of this day, whatever you want. You say a prayer of thanksgiving before you eat. And that became a really popular thing to do, an important thing, to say grace. Growing up, my mother and father, we drilled it in me. We will say grace before every meal. My grandmother, she said, if you do not say grace before a meal, you will get a stomach ache. I can tell you my grandmother was wrong. But I can also tell you that when you remember to say grace, the food tastes better. Because you are there in gratitude with those with whom you eat, the food, the, break, the bread you break. It makes you aware that you have been blessed to get into the habit of saying grace before a meal three times a day. Beside your devotional time, you're going to be taking time to pray. Is there anything worthy of praise? Think about these things, Paul would say. And so secondly, if you and I make an effort this year to become aware of how we have been blessed, it is going to open your eyes to see how God wants to lead you and use you to bless life. When you and I are focused on those things that make us angry and afraid and anxious, it leaves you bitter and depressed. It's hard to see how God is leading you in your life, how God wants to use you to bless life. It's when you and I live in gratitude Believing that we have been blessed, even if life is difficult, you discover God can still lead you in the dark nights. God can still use you in the dark nights, and you can begin to see it. God does want to lead you. You will look at it differently. Again, John Kralik was telling about how December the 22nd, 2007... He said he'd never forget it. That was rock bottom day. That was the day that he had breakfast with his friend Bob. And Bob said, how are you doing? 
And John went through a litany of all the things that was going on in his life. People won't pay their bills. I think we're going to go bankrupt. The divorce, the kids, he went through it all. And he was so depressed. So depressed that Bob was worried about him. And he kept saying, now John, it isn't that bad. Now John, it is going to get better. Now John, you got to keep some hope here. I mean, he, he was really worried about his friend. And when breakfast was over, he said, Look, we're going to stay in touch. If you need me, if you just really strike, call me. It was in March. About two and a half, three months later, Bob called and said, let's have lunch. And they had lunch and he said, so tell me, how are you doing? And John kind of went through the litany of all those subjects. And then Bob said, all right, as I've listened to you talk, it seems to me some things are better Some things are worse. I can't tell that a whole lot of things have changed except you. There is something different about you. What is it? And so Bob was the first person John told about the voice. Until you can learn to be grateful for the things you have, you'll never receive the things you want. Bob became the first person that he told about this project. I'm trying to write a thank you note today to see if I can find things to be grateful for. And John had a moment of realization that in these last three months he has moved from whenever somebody said, how are you doing, this litany of despair to where he could talk about the struggles and still say, but I am blessed. I'm blessed. He hadn't even realized it was happening. When you feel blessed, then your eyes are open and you start seeing the way God wants to lead you. You see how God wants to use you. God will give you possibilities in this new year. Last Sunday, Marsh and I were watching football and a commercial came on and she immediately said, Wow, I just love the voice of Morgan Freeman. I hadn't really noticed, um, but as I suddenly listened, yep, so distinctive, you can immediately tell. I mean, I covet the voice of Morgan Freeman. I covet the voice of Dave Petit, you know. Um, you know, you just listen, and, it, and Morgan Freeman, I mean, did you know that Morgan Freeman is going to be 80 years old this year? 80 years old. What an amazing acting career he has. From being a chauffeur in uh, the show Driving Miss Daisy to playing the part of God. Now, that covers the waterfront of everything you do and all these commercials that he makes. But almost being 80, he had been interviewed and he was being asked, why did you decide to become an actor? And he had a story I can tell you immediately when I decided to. He was 13 years old. 13 years old in junior high. And he said, I remember I was in English class and her name was Barbara Curry. He said, I can remember it to this day. Barbara Curry. And I went over and when she got ready to sit down, I pulled out the chair from underneath her. Boy, she hit the floor. I thought it was so funny. But she didn't. She got up and she started to chase me. But she wasn't the only one chasing me. So was Miss Cogsbury, my English teacher. It was Miss Cogsbury who caught him. And she grabbed him by the neck and she was leading him back to class, 
trying to figure out what she was going to do to punish him. And before she got to class, she suddenly thought about another English teacher who was responsible for putting on the one-act play, a contest, and they still had some parts, and she marched him right down there and said, you're going to be in a play. And he said they'd cast almost all the parts, but one of the leads was still to be cast, and so they cast him in the lead part in this one-act play. And they all started working together, and they actually were pretty good, so good, their one-act play one state. They won state and he garnered all these awards. And he said, I was stunned, but not near as stunned as my English teacher. <laughs> and he said, I knew then that I wanted to be an actor. And then he added, I believe God has a significant place in your life. I believe God gives you possibilities. But you have to see the possibilities and act upon them. As you and I begin this new year, I believe God will give you possibilities. But you have to see them and act upon them. I believe God wants to lead you and use you to bless life and make a difference. But you got to see them. You remember on the very first Sunday I told you about John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church? How on January 1, 1783, he would write in his diary, whether this be my last year or no, I intend to make it my best. John Wesley was 80 years old that year. 80 years old. If this be my last year or no, I intend to make it my best. I hope you intend to make 2017 your best. Believing that God will lead you. That God wants to use you. God will give you possibilities. But you have to see them. And you have to take them. You can do that if you are living in a spirit of gratitude. If you have discovered that all that I have is all that I need, and all that I need was an awareness of all that I have. If you are living in gratitude, it helps you to see the possibilities God will give you in this year so you can make it your best. So, the question simply becomes, is there anything worthy of praise? Think on these things. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.